the responsibility of women. We need to know, men, what God's call is, what God's call to responsibility is for women. As men, we are called to tend to keep our families, but women were created originally to be a comparable helper. That's the first thing God recognizes, one of the first things God recognizes in the need of mankind on this earth. And in stepping away from the man and his responsibility, we can't completely divorce ourselves when we consider how Eve, the first woman, was created. She was created from the rib of Adam, from God's creative thought to bring about the family. Now, even before we begin looking into the union of Adam and Eve, you know, we'll look at that prayerfully with time uh, allowing. We'll look at the responsibility of husbands and wives. I looked at men independently from their role as a husband last week. I'm going to try my best, because it's very difficult, but I'm going to try my best to observe the role of women apart from their role as a wife, because we see that, we'll see that in the text today, that that was God's creation intent for uh, the woman. But there are things that a woman is to do regardless if they're married or not. But we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but I'm not going to dive deeply into biology, uh, but we know in Genesis 1, 27 and 28, it is written, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Now we understand, if you look at the animal kingdom, if we look at how God created uh, everything for things to continue on, they must procreate Adam looked around, and as he, as he was naming the animals, as God brought the animals unto him, he realized there was no comparable helper, no one suitable to him. God recognizes that as well, and we'll get into that in just a moment. But, but for, the, for mankind to continue on, there had to be a male and a female. And I'm not going to stay here for a long time. I know our culture and our society would really needs a lesson on this, really bad, okay? There's a man and a woman. And for society and for culture to go on, you got to have one of each to be able to procreate and to go on. Now, for me, going any deeper into that, uh, I'm going to continue on with my sermon today on the responsibility of women, okay? Uh, and I want us to understand each male and female are created uniquely for God's glory and uniquely for their purpose in the fruitfulness and multiplication of mankind. Wayne Grudem observes these three identifiers of God's image in male and female. There's harmonious interpersonal relationships. There's equality of personhood and importance. And difference in role and authority. These are the three identifiers of God's image in male and female. And today we will observe how the responsibility of women originated. The responsibility of women was adapted and how the responsibility of women, responsibility of women is fulfilled. How it was originated, adapted, and then fulfilled. Let us first look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 18, 21 through 25. I'm going to read those verses, and then I'm going to pray. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, and in verses 21 through 25. Genesis 2, 18 reads such as this. And the Lord God said... It is not good that a man, that man should be alone. That's man as in the gender in which he was created and in mankind could be derived as both. I will make him a helper comparable to him. That's verse 18 of chapter 2. Then if you look down at verses 21 through 25, 
God saw this, so he, he did something about it. Anytime God sees something that needs to be done, he does something about it. In verse 21 through 25 gives us this account. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he, being God, took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Let's pray, church. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to look into your word. God, we know there is salvific uh, accounts here within this story, within this, this scripture that we'll be looking at today. And God, this is not only trying to, uh, try to teach us how to appropriately understand how you have created us, God, but it's also to understand your purpose in this. God, you had a great purpose. Your purpose was to bring about the salvation of man and woman. Lord, you saw that from the get-go. And you saw, Lord, that how things were to be. God, I pray, Lord, that we will open our eyes, Lord, to see the value in each and every person, God, just as you did. Lord, not just in the beginning. Lord, because you did, the Bible tells us that from the foundation of the earth, the Lamb of God was slain. You saw the value of mankind. Lord, it was in your mind and heart for your son to die, even then. And, Lord, we know that it came through the seed of Eve. We know, Lord, that, it, that he came because it says in the Scripture that, that the snake will bite its heel, but it will bruise his heel, but the seed will crush his head. So, God, we thank you, Lord, for how you have created mankind, male and female, how you created us. God, may we be grateful for that. Lord, that is not something to be held against you. Lord, it's to be... Uh, used to glorify and honor you because of your great creativity, God, and your amazing power. God, I pray, Lord, today if there's someone here who is lost without you, Lord, may they surrender their heart and life to you. God, I pray, Lord, that you will help us to better understand how we are to live in relationship, number one, with you, but, Lord, with one another as well. Lord, we thank you and we praise you and all these things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we look at this, the first thing I entitled this is Responsibility Originated. And we can see that there in verse 18. I'm going to step down here for just a moment and grab my bottle of water. I'm not illustrating anything. <laughs> I joked with somebody this, uh, I think it was yesterday, and I, they, they made a comment, and I said, be careful now, I may use you as an illustration tomorrow. <laughs> I wasn't going to call any names. But today we're looking at Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. And then he says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. Some translations, I think King James Version says, a help meet. A help meet. And we'll talk about that, how that's phrased together, and why that meant something uh, when it was written as well. Uh, and so we look at this. So there's three things that I see in this passage of Scripture in verse 18, and then latter part there, uh, 21 through 25, but specifically in verse 18, we see three characteristics of the first woman and her original responsibility. God said, it is not good that a man should be alone. Woman, her first responsibility was to remove loneliness. To remove loneliness. 
Now, a lot of times we think women need somebody so they won't be alone. But God said, no, man's alone. I need to create a woman to fix that. So woman, the first woman was created to help man in his loneliness. Adam realized there was no other creature created yet like him. Who is he to communicate with? Who is he supposed to grow old with? Who is he supposed to work alongside to help, to be a copper help me? He was lonely. He, he needed somebody, and God saw this. God is not oblivious to our needs. God saw that, and so woman, one of her first responsibilities, matter of fact, her first one noted here is to remove loneliness. It goes on to say, God said, not just it says, God says, I will make him a helper comparable to him. We see that there in verse 18. So the second original responsibility was to help in the tending and keeping of the garden. To help. She was a comparable helper. And we'll talk about what that means as well. And then if you look down in verses 21 through 25, specifically there um, in, in verses 24 and 25, 24 says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. It was to fulfill the family unit. To fulfill the family unit. So the first original responsibility that God gave to, to women were to remove loneliness, to help in the tending and keeping in the garden, and to fulfill the family unit. There is, there is emotional right there, removing the loneliness. There is physical there to help in the tending and keeping the garden and to fulfill the family unit. There is, there is unity there. We can see that God has a fullness for each and every one of us to be fulfilled in our lives. God wants us to be fulfilled. God wants us to be fulfilled. And, and for many people, I know Paul goes on to say, you know, some of you might need to get married, some of you might not, but that, he said some of you need to get married because you've, Really, he's saying your, your, your desire is pushing you toward that. So you need to be mindful of that. But he's saying here, God in his original way is saying, the original responsibility to remove loneliness, help in the tending and keeping of the garden to fill the family unit. So let's look at what this means to remove loneliness. It is not good for man to be alone. These three characteristics many a times are not applauded in our culture, but are clearly the original purpose of the woman is given by God. God realized the need that was lacking in man. Adam had named the animals, came to the realization he had no pair or mate similar to himself. And God, knowing our needs, saw this and, uh, and desires us to be fulfilled. So we come to this observation that the vast majority of women are desirous of companionship, whether through a marital relationship with a man or companionship through friendship with another. And this satisfies the original purpose of alleviating loneliness in those around them. It's not so much that they are lonely themselves. God didn't create a woman and say, oh, well, you're lonely. God saw man. Man saw that he had no one like him, and God said, this isn't good. Man needs to have someone to be with him. A comparable helpmeet is what he needs. And we see this. The recognition of being alone was Adam, not the woman, but both would need this unity, this fellowship together. You know, they're still not talking about marriage yet, but they bring them together. Adam was the first creation, and then Eve. And God brings them together to work together in cooperation underneath the, the, the leadership 
of God underneath the headship because God had already given man some instruction prior to the woman being there. And the, and the man was to tend and to keep and to protect. To tend and to keep the garden. And the, and the woman is <clears throat> come into the garden and he is to tend to her and to keep her. The goal is for them to be healthy, right? It's to keep them healthy. And to be healthy is to have a right relationship with God and to have a right relationship one with the other. But so many men have forfeited their responsibilities and now women are having to step into that lead spot, which is sad. And we see what happens later on in Genesis chapter 3 when Eve tried to step into that, that head spot where Adam should have been tending and keeping the garden, keeping and tending the trees, keeping and tending his wife. He had stepped away for a moment and did not tend to keep his wife as she stepped up and listened to somebody who did not want to tend and keep her. Listen to the devil. The devil, and the Bible tells us, you know, that was a, and I also want you to understand, she's a free agent, a free agent of moral choice, just as Adam was. That's the reason why she went to that tree. That's the reason why she was able to listen to the serpent. That's the reason why she was able to give in to the serpent. And I'm not getting into that yet because that's point number two, sort of. But removing loneliness, the recognition of being alone, they needed to be together. Sometimes being together, just like if you read that account, and I'm not there yet, and I really didn't want to get ahead of myself, but if you, if you understand the account of when Eve partook of the fruit, it says she took the fruit, ate of it, and gave some to her husband. So it's not like he was like off doing something in the garden, like at the workshop, doing something in the garage. Here's Adam right here beside her. And he's listening to their conversation and he's not saying anything. There's a lot of men today that are sitting in the house. They're just letting things go and they're not saying anything. They're not doing anything. It's not that they're not there. It's just that they're not there. So we can't just drop the bomb on Eve and say it's all her fault, guys. Adam was standing close enough for her to take a bite and turn and hand it. Sorry, would you say that again? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Siri really wants to hear that again. Adam was within an arm's reach. <laughs> he was within an arm's reach. <laughs> that's funny. Usually that's frustrating, but that's actually pretty applicable right now. So anyway, we can see that we can see that though that from this first recognition of the Lord God that the woman was to be a partner. And a counterpart. Nothing is yet said of her childbearing. She is valued for herself alone. She is there to remove loneliness, to help in the tending and keeping of the garden, to fulfill the family unit. Tending and keeping the garden. Uh, the scripture says, Lord God said there, I will make a helper comparable to him. Now listen, Eve was not another male. Eve uh, she was not a clone of Adam, nor was she a twin. She was similar but different. Eve had her own biology, physiology, and psychology. She was made to complement the man, to help him populate and rule the earth, and to unite with him as a loving companion partner. This is the first statement in the Bible concerning the woman's role. She is to be a help to the man. She is to be a help. And she was created similarly but differently from the man. Emotionally, mentally, we talked about that biology, physiology, and psychology. Now, the word, na the, the, the word helper is a noun there in Genesis 2, 18. It is a noun. I will make him a helper 
comparable to him. And that means to help, support, means to aid. This is not a demeaning term. You know, a lot of people have looked at this and said, that's a demeaning term to be a helper. You know, it's not. Because this is, God is frequently designed, described as a help to his people. We can see that in Psalm 121. To be a helper means that the woman has the necessary ability, fitness, resources, and strength to be a help. She has those resources. And we're going to talk about how if she has those resources, how her responsibility is fulfilled. We'll talk about that later as we look at Proverbs 31. But we see that a helper means that the woman has the necessary ability, fitness, resources, and strength to be a help. And the Hebrew term for suitable for him, some translations use that language suitable for him, means like him, corresponding to him, matching him, being his counterpart. Thus, her nature corresponds to him. This shows their equality. She is not like the animals, Adam names in verse 19. She too is an image bearer of God. Amen. Some translations have this language as Help me. I mentioned that earlier when I first read the text. I think the King James Version says it that way. And this should be broken apart for the best understanding of the woman's responsibility. Meet for him is an old English way of saying equal to. Equal to. So actually when we say help meet, this means much more than a companion. It refers to someone who can and will help another and who is equal to help. The other person. So when God created the, the woman, he created her equal in that sense to be able to help. And, and to be able to help someone is, is to be able to be in fellowship. You know, we talk about we have fellowships. We think about fellowships. We think of potlucks and, and casseroles. But a fellowship is to be able to communicate on the same level and have a, a good, healthy conversation and grow. That's fellowship. Now, it might be over a meal, which is nice, but it isn't necessary for fellowship. Fellowship can be over a good passage of Scripture or talking about a good book you read or, or talking about an, uh, a, a season of life that you're in. But because you, are, uh, you have this commonality within, with, with one another, there is fellowship. And fellowship, in order to be important, must be fellowship. The person must be an equal. Also notice, man does not always know that he needs a helper equal to him. He knew he needed a helper. He looked around and didn't see anybody like him. But God looked down and said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Sometimes we don't realize we need that help. And men are stubborn too. Sometimes we don't like to ask for help, right? So God knows. Well, they're stubborn. I'll give them some help. We, we need that help sometimes. And so God saw that need that he needed a helper. This is, this is, and this is also a conclusion of social science. I mean, science, God, number one, was the originator of it all. We know that. And then science just affirms what God's already done. And it's so funny. The more people try to use science to disprove God, the more they prove God. And this is the truth right here the same way. This is in God's benevolent plan for the welfare of mankind, that male and female are created equal. God created man, he, male and female, he created them. And being equal for tending and keeping, Adam was originally given the responsibility of tending and keeping the garden in all things that were created. Eve being created as a comparable helper 
was and is to help in his responsibilities and thus in cooperation becoming her responsibilities. He was to tend and keep. She was to come right along beside him. She was equal to, able to do the same things. God was able to give her those abilities because he created them the, similar. Not the same, but similar. And then lastly, to fulfill the family unit, the three things that he talks about. Then look at verses 21 through 25. In the original responsibility, responsibility originated. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib, which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. So from the rib of Adam, God created Eve. He formed her for purpose to remove the loneliness of those around her, particularly that of man, to be a comparable helper. And now those characteristics are put into physical form to formulate the family unit. You know, I mean... You think about that for just a moment. I mean, for many of you, you, you've been married or you have been married or maybe you're looking to be married, maybe you're dating somebody, I don't know. But there's nothing like a good old hug where you pull in real close. That rib, that closeness there, that feeling of being heart to heart. It's just something about that gives that bond that's there. I mean, when you care about somebody, handshakes are like, you know, initial meetings, right? It's initial meetings. And over time, it's initial meetings. But eventually it'll get to be possibly a side hug. And usually those front, you know, the front embraces are more for those spouses and, 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 and for that type of situation. As you grow in relationship, you get closer to one another. God reached into one of the closest places, one of the centermost parts of the man's body to remove that rib and to create her. She was a special creation by God by his surgical action. God knew exactly where to go to start for woman. That's, that's what he knew. And when God formed her, we can hear from the historical perspectives, especially like those from the rabbis. The rabbis said this. He, being God, thought to himself, we should not create her beginning with the head so that she will not be frivolous, nor from the eye that she be a starer at men, nor from the ear that she not be an eavesdropper, nor from the mouth that she should not talk too much a gossip, which is interesting. We talked about that. Uh, think we know. Nor from the heart that she not be jealous, nor from the hand that she not be light-fingered, nor from the foot that she not be a gadabout, but from a covered-up place of man. For even when a man is standing naked, that spot is covered up. That's interesting. You know, if you're standing naked, you ain't got no clothes. Anyway, I'm quoting something here. Sometimes it don't always make sense. But... Um, <laughs> I guess over there, naked meant like if you had on like, I guess, shorts and a t-shirt. I don't know. Or maybe, maybe they wrapped something around it. I don't know. Anyway. But that's what the rabbis said. So they, they thought that that was an important place. God knew the exact way a woman needed to be formed. So in all aspects, so that she may accomplish the responsibilities that were inherently created into her. And from that creation, Adam immediately recognized that the woman shared his same nature. You notice that? He said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. He wasn't like, hmm, I don't know. That might be a giraffe. You know, he, he, he wasn't like, I don't, I don't know if that belongs to me. Immediately, he knew. 
He said, whoa, man, she looks like me. She looks like me. And he's like, wait a minute, what, what's, this, what's this place here? You know, God had taken from him and created her. And, and he said, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She was not an inferior creature like the animals he had been na busy naming. She was taken out of his side and thus shared equally in his nature and bearing of the image of God. And once God formed woman from Adam's rib, God brought her to Adam. I want you to understand this is the first ever marriage ceremony. It's the first marriage ceremony. You think about when you go to a, a wedding. What happens? What happens in a wedding? In a wedding, you've got the groom waiting down front, nine times out of ten, unless they're doing something different out of tradition. The groom's waiting down front, usually with the minister. Out of the back, there's, there's music playing. Many of you have experienced this, you, or you've been to a wedding. This beautiful music's playing, all of a sudden the doors swing open and out steps this beautiful bride. And who is she on the arm of? Her father, most of the time. She's on the arm of her father. That father walks her down the aisle, that husband... That soon-to-be husband, fiance's down there on his knees. He's trying to keep him not from locking because he's just observing the beauty in which God had created and he had just come to love. And here's Adam. Here in the beginning, we see that. He's standing there and it says there in verse 22, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made it to a woman and he brought her to the man. And God gave to man the woman. This is the first marriage ceremony. How beautiful is that? It's the reason why we do the things that we do today. It's not supposed to be any other way. But I also want you to understand, too, who was present in the midst of all this? God. Marriage is something that God is supposed to be a part of. He is the author of it. And he is supposed to be a part of every single marriage. If you don't have Christ as a part of your marriage, I'm going to tell you, it ain't going to stand. It ain't going to stand. You've got to have Christ in there. You've got to have God the Father there. And I mean, but how beautiful is this? That the Father who walks you down the aisle, Eve, is God the Father. Man, how amazing is that? That's just beautiful to think about. When you think about that ceremony, when you think about Adam's response to the woman was to leave any other dependence and be interdependent with her with God's blessing. Now, granted, at this time, it was just Adam and God. He's just chilling with God. Could you imagine what that life would be like? Hey, God, what's going on? You know what I mean? They walked together in the cool of the morning. I mean, they had a pretty cool relationship. God's bringing all the animals to him, and he's like, but you know that, I mean, God, you, you, I'm, I, I appreciate that relationship, but you're not like me either. You're holy. You're different than I. And I need somebody like me. And he realizes this, and God says, you know what? I, I see that need. I see it's not good for you to be alone. So I'm going to make somebody who could be with you all the time. And he made woman to be a comparable helper. They were united in their effort before, that means in the presence of, before God, and they were united in their effort by God. In their creation and in their cooperation, God created Eve and man. They were the original uh, these were the original responsibilities given to Eve in the garden at creation. We see there was to remove loneliness. It was to help tend and to keep the garden. And it was to fulfill the family unit. But we see uh, 
Unfortunately, responsibility had to be adapted. It had to be adapted. Look there at Genesis 3, 16. We can go back and read all through Genesis, the first part up until this point, where the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field the Lord God had made, and he has this conversation with Eve, and she, uh, she adds to the word of God. She said they shouldn't even touch it. God didn't say you couldn't touch it. He said you just can't eat it. But she touched it. She held it. She admired it. She desired it, and she ate it. And her husband, who was clearly must have been within an arm's length, she gave to her husband, and he ate too. He wasn't doing his job, tending and keeping and protecting but she stepped out beyond the headship of the man and his leadership and chose to do something she shouldn't have done. So a responsibility had to be adapted. And this concept, as we think about the concept of headship, it's, it's introduced in Genesis 2, from where God created man first and then from the rib of man, God created woman. Headship is introduced there in Genesis 2. But the fall there of Genesis 3, it, it corrupts that 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 relationship. It doesn't institute the relationship. It doesn't institute headship. It corrupts headship. And it corrupted, unfortunately, masculine leadership. And this fall led to the adaptation of the woman's responsibility. As we look at this portion of Scripture, we can observe original expectations of the union of the man and woman and then how sin, the fall, corrupted those right and original responsibilities. Two joyful experiences and relationships will now have struggle and hardship. That struggle and hardship. And what are those? Birth and marriage. Birth and marriage. Those things should be the greatest experiences of anybody in their life. And we know today they still are. They still are. There's many things about it. But, but in that, there is an adaption, uh, adaptation, excuse me, of what has to happen here. Look there in Genesis 3, 16. God tells Eve because of her choice. Now granted, he's already given the curse to the serpent. Now he's given the curse to the woman. And he's given the curse to the man here in verses that follow after that, verses 17 through 19. But specifically here, verse 16, he says to the woman, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception." In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. So we see here in birth, we know there is so much joy in this experience, right? The expectation of a child is so great. I mean, you think about that. Children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, there's such a celebration. Today we have gender reveal parties. We have baby showers we have uh, room decorating and updating, but, and, and we have family celebrations. We have all these things to celebrate the birth of a child. It's a wonderful occasion, and it's a blessing. The Bible says, blessed is the man who has a quiver full of kids. So it's, it's not the child. The child is not the curse. The curse is what comes in the process of childbearing. It's the pain. It comes along with it before. It says that I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. So, I mean, there was some sorrow, but there was nothing like what is now experienced due to sin. Sin has, 
has made the birth process so much more painful. We also know that uh, it was appointed unto Eve. She was the mother of all living. Adam goes on to name her that there in verse 20 of Genesis 3. Also for Adam and his, uh, excuse me, it says, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. But it was appointed unto Eve to be the mother of all living. But now to her children, to all generations, would suffer under the curse. Their very entrance into the world would be marked by unique suffering, serving as a perpetual reminder of the dread effects of sin. Because of sin, there was so much pain. And the function of reproduction and motherhood, originally given as a joyful fruition of God's purpose and her creation, it is now marred so severely by her lust for withheld knowledge, which conceived and brought forth sin and death, James 1.15, and would, be thus, would thus be marked by unique suffering in its accomplishment. Furthermore, she, would, uh, she who had acted independently of her husband in her faithful decision to taste the desired fruit must henceforth exercise her desire only to her husband, and he would bear rule over her. In this consideration, in the pain of the birth of every child, there was also to be a reminder of the hope that lay in God's promise. There was also a hope in every child, in every birth, every uh, pain there, there was this hope of the coming Messiah, right? We can go back there and read if we need to. Right there in verse 15 of Genesis 3, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, but you shall bruise his heel. When it says that, it's talking about there from this seed. Now there's pain in childbirth, but there's always hope. Could this be the Messiah? And the Jews, yes, there was, there was pain in the birth, but there's always this hope. Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? But there, there was consequences to Eve's sin. There was an adaptation to what her responsibilities were to be. We also see there uh, in John 16, 21, though, that a woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour is come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child... She no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being is born into the world. Somehow, in spite of the suffering, the joy of motherhood has, for most normal women, been their greatest happiness. It's been their greatest happiness. Now we look at marriage. It says there in the, in the latter part of verse 16, Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Looking directly at those last two lines. This language of desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you has been abused by men many times over the years, over the centuries, and ever since this statement has been made, it's been abused by many a men. Men should not take this curse and pronounce it further upon their wives. This is now in, inherited with the sin nature within the woman and doesn't need to be further burdened by a man. We're not to do that. Though the husband was to be the head of the house, he was to love and cherish his wife, considering her to be one flesh with himself, clinging to his wife. And this is what I want us to understand, men to women and women to men. 
Husbands, we are not the curse to our wives, nor are our wives uh, a curse to us. But within the marriage, the curse is to be fought against and given over to Christ day in and day out so that the relationship is glorious and God-honoring. The curse is not removed. We are still sinners. But when we come together in unity, underneath the blessing of God, we are two sinners who are battling the curse that we may go on and be a blessing because God has blessed us. So how does a woman, how does a woman or a woman or her husband fulfill this responsibility? There's an original responsibility. There is an adaptation to the responsibility. And then there is a responsibility that is fulfilled. Y'all flip over to Proverbs chapter 31. Proverbs chapter 31. Verses 11 through 31. I'm going to go through these very, quite, very quickly. When we think about uh, there was the original purpose of the woman to remove loneliness, to tend and care for the to tend and care alongside her husband and to care for the garden and then to fulfill the family unit. You can see this in Proverbs 31. This is how responsibility is fulfilled. We see a woman who is a wife, who is many things in her life, and that is wonderful. So let us break down the fulfilled responsibility of woman as seen through the lens of Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. Look there at verse 10. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm going to move through these pretty quick. It says, who can find a virtuous wife for her worth is far above rubies. She is uniquely valuable. Every woman is uniquely valuable. And, and any man who finds a woman has found a blessing. That's, that's kind of like Blake's paraphrase of a passage of Scripture. I know it's in there somewhere, but I couldn't quote it exactly. But every man who finds a woman is blessed to be his wife. Listen, she is uniquely valuable for her worth is far above rubies. There is no material possession that is more valuable than your wife. She is completely trusted by her husband. Look there in verse 11. The heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. You ever seen a husband who doesn't trust his wife? He's constantly worried about all kinds of stuff. He's worried about finances. Is she going and doing this? Is she doing that? It's... But listen, a woman who is fulfilling her responsibility, she's doing what she's supposed to do. The husband go out and do what he's supposed to do so they can cooperatively do what they're supposed to do. So they both gain. She is completely trusted by her husband. She has no limits to her achievement due to her support. There in verse 11, it says, uh, So uh, the heart of her husband safely trusts her, so he will have no lack of gain. He'll have no lack of gain, and her, she, she has no limit to her achievement. And you can see that through this passage of Scripture. She does so much, there's no limit to her. She is out for the betterment of her husband. Look there in verse 12. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. Now, it kind of gets into her specifically. Not just the benefit she has in the family unit to her husband, but really about her specifically. Look there at verse 13. She seeks wool and flax, and flax and willingly works with her hands. She is skilled. 
This whole idea that she needs to be barefoot and pregnant, I, I don't know where in the world people got this idea. But if you look at a Proverbs 31 woman, she seeks wool and flax. She's going out to find this stuff. She's getting it, and she willingly works with her hands. She's not being forced to. She chooses to. Her husband's like, no big deal. If this is what you're gifted in, get after it. She is skilled. She's diligent. Look at verses 14 and 15. She is like the merchant ship. She brings her food from afar. She also rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. She is diligent. She's not lazy. She's not putting things off. She, she's saying, I'm getting it done. I'm going out. She, she was like a merchant ship. She's able to go gather these things up. She's bringing the food in. She's, she's taking care of things while it's nighttime. She, like, she's not even concerned about what everybody else got to do because I ain't got to worry about you. This is my responsibility. I'm going to take care of this. I've got this. And she provides food for her household and a portion for her maidservants. People think it's a bad thing that sometimes that women will cook and their husbands don't. That's okay. That's okay, but it's also okay for the husband to cook too. I like to cook sometimes. But the point of this is being is that she is... She knows how to do it. She's got the skill to do it. She's diligent in doing it. And then look at verse 16. She's a good steward with her resources. She considers a field and buys it. And from her profits, she plants a vineyard. She is a good steward of her resources. She, can, she goes out. She's looking at fields. I mean, she is, she's a very knowledgeable with wisdom. She's a woman who knows how to get things done. She considers the field and buys it. And not only does she know how to steward her money well, she also knows how to flip things over. She would be a DIYer if she was here today. Do it yourself. You know, she might could flip a house. I don't know. But, but it says she, she considers the field, buys it, and from her profit, she plants a vineyard. She's not a work. She's a, excuse me, let me, don't get ahead of myself. She continues, uh, verse 16, she's a good steward of research. Verse 17, verse 17, she girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. You know what? She is, uh, she's conscious of her fitness. She's mindful that she's able to build, you know, it says she gets her arms strong. She, she builds things up. I mean, she's out there lifting bells of hay. I don't know what she's doing, but she's strong. You know why she's strong? Because she can get out and plant a vineyard. She go out and buy fields. She's like a merchant ship. She goes out and buys food for herself. It doesn't say anywhere that she's got any help at this time, does it? The husband's out at the gates. He's hanging out the gates. He's not helping her. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I mean, later on, we'll talk about he's at the gates. But that's where he's at. She's doing what she can do to help be a good part and a functioning part of the community, the society, and her family. She's building herself up. She considers the field, buys it. Prophet, she plants a vineyard, verse 17. She girds herself with strength and strengthens her arms. Verse 18, she continually improves her products. Look at verse 18. She perceives that her merchandise is good and her lamp does not go out at night. She's like, you know what? I got a good thing going here. How can I make this better? How can I make this better? And, and she's continually improving on that, trying to figure out how can I make this better? How can I, you know what? I can make this small thing here. Maybe I can make it a little bigger. You know, she, she considers these things. My community might need this. And, and so I'll, I might make it a little better, make it bigger, tweak it here, tweak it there. I got a niece 
that, uh, and I'm, I'm really proud of her. She married Todd, and, and she's got all these, oil, these essential oils and, and natural type things. And, and for the longest, she, she started real small. Then she started going to little places and, and selling things at, at little markets and stuff like that. Now she's bought herself a business front on the square in Jacksonville, Alabama, and she's got that. And now she's selling her stuff. She's got her own business. How amazing is that? She is a good wife to her kids. They love the Lord. That's, that's this. I mean, that's awesome. Now listen, now listen. I, I, not every woman is going to fulfill every single one of these things in a fluid order. Okay? It's not like checkpoint, checkpoint. Okay, I need to go to the gym and work out my arms. Checkpoint. You know, it's, it's not like that, okay? But we, we need to be, we see these characteristics here, these responsibilities, how they're being fulfilled in her life, in this woman's life, this virtuous wife's life as it's titled here. And I'm going to get to the reason why she's able to do all these things. This is right near the end of this. Really, probably should teach this in reverse. But uh, she continually approves her products in verse 18. Verse 19 and 20, she is considerate of her community and offers charity. Look there in verses 19 and 20. She stretches out her hands to the distaff, and her hand holds the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor. Yes, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She is considerate of her community and offers charity. She's not just about herself. She's not just about her husband or her family. She's observant about what her community needs. Her hand reaches out to the, she reaches out her hands to the needy. She reaches her hands out to the needy. Verse 21, she's not a worrier as she is prepared for her family and home well. As she has prepared her family and home well. Look there in verse 21. She is not afraid of snow for her household. For all her household is clothed with scarlet. She's not a warrior. She's taking care of everything that, that, you know, she's like the Lord will handle the rest of it. But you know what? I'm doing what God's gifted me to do. I've done these things. Obviously, she's very gifted in, in sewing and all this type of stuff. She's gifted it by fields. Man, is there anything this woman can't do? I don't know. It doesn't seem like it. Pretty impressive. Look there, verse 22 and 23. She's mindful of her own care and presentation. And her husband's. Look there, verse 22 and 23. She makes tapestry for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She, she is mindful of her own care and presentation and her husband's. She wants to make sure that things are nice, things are well kept. You know? It doesn't, I mean, like, obviously this is talking about some really nice clothing, fine linen and purple. That's very expensive. So, She's done well. She's bought a field. She's turned it into a vineyard. She's sewing it to the staff. She's, she's checking all these things out. She's helping out her community. So Natalie, she's done well for herself. So she's able to do that. But at, at whatever place you financially, economically find yourself, we need to be meeting the needs of our families and meeting the needs of those around. We should take care of ourselves and present ourselves well. And she does that. Look there at verse 24. She is resourceful with her products, knowing when to sell and when to be charitable. Look there, verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies sashes for the merchants. Okay, so she makes the linen garments and then she sells them. So she takes the abilities and the skills that she's learned. I already said she was skillful. And she's, she's done this and now she's selling the things. And then she's also just giving sashes to the merchants. She's taking care of them. 
She's clothed in strength and honor. She is a woman of character. Look at verses 25 and 26. Strength and honor are her clothing. She shall rejoice in time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and her tongue is the law of kindness. So she is, uh, she is clothed in strength and honor, and she is a woman of character. We see this is, this, is, this is the fulfillment. This is the responsibility fulfilled of a woman. But look here. This is, this is as we move down through here, we're getting closer to the whole reason why she is able to do all these things. Look there at verse 27. She's proactive. She watches over the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She doesn't wait till something comes up to address it. She's getting on it before it happens. She's proactive. She's not being idle. And that's important. It's important. We don't need to wait for something to happen and then have to deal with it. Let's get things set up. I mean, it makes me think about Julie in, in doing meal prepping. You know what I mean? We're not waiting till the day of. What's going, what's going to eat for lunch, Blake? I don't know. I ain't done that. Because that happens most of the time. <laughs> I ain't done nothing, but Julia, on Sundays, a lot of times she'll get up, she'll cook a bunch of salmon and rice, green beans, something like that. This is what we had last week, I think. And, and fix those trays, put them in the fridge, and then you wake up in the morning, you stick it up, you stick it in your lunchbox, and you go. You're being proactive. What are you going to do for lunch? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'll stick a frozen pot pie in my, in my thing. Yeah, I don't want to eat that. I mean, I will, but I don't want to. But I'll eat, I'll eat what she thinks in the meal for it. You know, it's being proactive. And, and then look at verse 28 and 29. We're almost there. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many daughters have done well, but you excel them all. She is recognized and praised. As she should be. Listen, every wife is not going to do every one of those things all the time. Some of them may not do them any of the time. I'm not trying to be mean. But the thing is, is we should be praising. Where does the praise come from? It says that, it says uh, her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praised her. If there's any place where a woman should feel the most encouraged, it's in her own home. It's in her own home. Men, now listen, I know I don't preach to you two weeks, but men, <laughs> if there's any place our wives should feel the most lifted up and the most encouraged in the safest place that's in the house, beside their husband, if you will, on the couch with the arm around, okay? Listen, I don't think I'm saying anything I can't say up here from the pulpit, but there's no better place that they should be encouraged than there. No greater place. And it should come from the kids and and sometimes I know our kids, they're absorbed in so many different things, sometimes they may not realize it. But listen, encouragement is something we all need. Encouragement is something we all need, but definitely our wives, especially if they're... And, and listen, I've heard people say, and I'm going to tell you this, this is a bad misconception. Uh, people used to say stay-at-home moms don't really have a job. Let me tell you something, they've got more of a job than most people who have a job. I'm not trying to be mean or disrespectful. If you're a woman who's worked a job and you've gone to, gone to work and all that, listen. Jews stayed at home as long as we could afford to. <laughs> and I know there's, there's stress at work. There's stress in jobs and all that kind of stuff. But I want you to understand this. A stay-at-home mom, man, there's a lot to do. You don't realize, we, don't, me as, we as men don't realize everything that needs to be done around the house. We just come in from work sometimes and you're just like, 
I just want to eat and sit on the couch. Or I just want to eat and go finish a project in the garage or in the workshop or whatever. We've got to realize uh, our wives need, need that opportunity to rest too. And rest isn't always at the house. Because especially if they're a stay-at-home mom, that's the workplace. Think about that for a minute. Sometimes they need a, if you will, a cow God take me away moment, you know. Get me out of this place for a while. And it's not because they don't love their home. It's not because they don't love their kids. It's not because they don't love you. It's because that's the workplace. And sometimes, just as you and I all know, that if you work in the same place over and over for a while, you just need, I need a day off. I need a break. I need a few days. She needs to be recognized and praised. But all this, look at verse 30, and I know I've gone over considerably today, but I think women, listen, I've, I've been very encouraging today, right? I hope so. I hope you've been blessed by this today. Look there at verse 30. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her own works praise her in the gates. These things happen because she's rooted in the fear of the Lord. She's rooted in the fear of the Lord. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is passing. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. The Bible talks about being unequally yoked. Husband and wives need to be believers in Jesus Christ. And if both, if both are fearing the Lord, you can and should have a healthy relationship. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. Doesn't mean it's going to be perfect. But you should have a healthy relationship. And it says, let her own works praise her in the gates. Because that's where her husband is, right? Her husband's in the gates. And when she comes by and she's going out to look for that field, he's like, look at that. That's, that's my wife. That's my wife. And, and then like other people, they go out the field and other folks are like, hey, ain't that, that's so-and-so. That's so-and-so's wife. Man, she's, she's an amazing woman. She's doing some amazing things. Let her own works praise her in the gates. It ain't about, it, I mean, granted, this, she's obviously married, but so many of these things could be done, a woman could do by herself. But I want you to understand this. God's original intent for, for, for a woman when she was created, remove loneliness, be a comparable helper, and fulfill the family unit. Listen, I, I know today's scripture has, has been heavily focused toward women. And that's all right. Sometimes we need to hear these sermons. We need to hear sermons on men. It took me two weeks. Ladies, this is it for you. All right. All right. You got one week. Of course, I did go over. I took about an extra 20 minutes. But uh, I know today's focus of Scripture was basically on women, but we too can learn from this text. We should be encouragers, tenders, and keepers, men of our wives, so that they may be fulfillers of their responsibility. None of us... None of us will be able to show grace, compassion, and cooperation within our relationships without Christ as our guide and our hope. We're not going to be able to show those things. So today, what I'm going to do is I'm going, I'm going to encourage you. If you've never confessed Christ as Lord, I pray that you'll do so today. Because if not, you're going to have conflict in your relationships. You're going to have conflict in your friendships. You might have conflict in your marriage. But if you'll surrender your life to Jesus Christ, listen, 
Surrendering your life to Christ, it's not always an immediate fix to every problem you've ever had. But it definitely is a starting point to fix every problem you've ever had. Because he wants to see you whole, W-H-O-L-E, and he wants to see you holy, H-O-L-Y. He wants to see you whole and holy. 